Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. I'm talking with Victor Minaj, and he's at the site of what hopefully is going to be a brand new, exciting restaurant, and it is a horse, uh, the leftover of a horse stable right now, a place I've spent a lot of time over the years, and uh, hopefully we're going to find out some of the adventures that uh, Victor has gotten into in his life, but Victor, congratulations on your success, and uh, in real estate, we want to hear about, hear about all of those things, but at one time when you started out, I'm really fascinated by, and you're probably sick of talking about it, but the uh, you started out as an engineer, and uh, you you actually were pretty good at it. You came up with a uh, uh, chip that I think. Uh, why don't I let you tell the story? You work for uh, Bell Northern Research, and why don't you tell the story? Sure. Well, great to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, my path into real estate investing was definitely not the typical career path. I started out as an engineer designing microprocessors. And my first projects were, in fact, designing chips that control the phone network. So about 52% of the phone calls in North America and probably 12% of the phone calls worldwide were routed through a chip that I designed uh, for about a decade. Wow. Uh, and so I ran, you know, rose through the through the ranks at uh, Bell Northern Research and Nortel, which was the parent company. And we you know, built these systems worldwide, transitioned from there into a startup company that was also involved in CoreLogic chipsets for microprocessors, and then eventually took that company public. From there, went to another company that where we uh, li literally acquired IBM's embedded microprocessor division, so grew that business by about 100% over a three-and-a-half-year period so spent a lot of my career in the microprocessor design industry where we were doing things from cellular base stations at Nokia, Siemens, uh, Motorola, uh, wireless access points for Cisco, Cisco routers, Apple, Wi-Fi access points. Uh, I have a chip in the Patriot missile. I mean, it's all kinds of weird and wonderful applications all over the world. And about, the year was about 2009, and something was happening around then. You might remember it in real estate. Yeah. And <laughs> and I was traveling back and forth to Tokyo every two weeks. We were building a new cellular network in Japan with a number four carrier in Japan. And it was burning me out physically. That 12-hour time zone change and the 13-hour right. you know, trip to Narita Airport every few days was just punishing. And so I decided to take a hard left turn in my career and move into the world of investing on a full-time basis. So that was that was the shift that took place in 2009, and it was a good time to make that shift, a good time to be playing offense in real estate. Not a great time to be playing defense, but a great time to be playing offense. And it was very forgiving market conditions. It wallpapered over a lot of mistakes, and we made plenty. Yeah. Um, so it was, a, it was a good time to make that transition. I've been at it uh, really now today, full-time in development. We have a sizable team. And uh, building apartments, senior housing, storage. Uh, we do a lot of land development uh, all across both the United States and Canada. And so, I mean, you're talking about raising uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for different ventures, uh, 
corporate buyouts, real estate projects, things like that. How big is your team right now? So today we're 12. And uh, so it's not huge, but it's not tiny either. Yeah. Uh, it's a, the core team is five partners and we have staff and interns and other associate partners on various projects. Mm -hmm. uh, so our average staff meeting call every day, we're about 12 people on the call. Uh-huh. Now let's talk about when you're, you know, for people who don't know, uh, when you work as an engineer with a big company, when you design something, that's not your patent, is it? No, no. In fact, uh, when you join a big company like Nortel, well, not Nortel doesn't exist anymore, but any company of that scale, yeah, you're going to sign as part of your employment agreement an assignment of patents. So whatever patents you acquire, you are going to assign those to your to your employer. So while your name might be on the patent, as my name is on three patents, uh, I don't own them. I just have my name on them, and and in that case, Nortel owned them. Yeah, and it's a hopefully that had a positive influence on your annual year-end bonus when you yeah. get half half of the world using your your chip. But uh, nothing like owning it yourself. Did that go through your head? You know, that's the difference between being a business owner and being an employee. Yeah, you know, right. You. As an employee, you've got some upside, but no downside. Yeah. Um, and as a business owner, you've it, it all rests on your shoulders. Yeah. So how did you how did you come up into the engineering uh, world and get get in that position? You know what what were some of the first leanings you had and first steps you made? Because that was probably a pretty good position, uh, you know, that you were in when you were in that able to even design oh absolutely yeah it, i mean it was a great uh, great phase in my career absolutely and i knew from the time that i was a teenager if you would ask me when i was 12 13 14 years old what do i want to be when i grow up i would have said yes i want to be an electrical engineer now i really didn't know what that meant it just sounded cool <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect i really didn't know what it meant but it was a really great great career and enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, I, it was something I knew I wanted to do right from a very early age. Was was this just something magnetic in the air, or did you know some electrical engineers, or what? How did that thought get in your mind? Because the thought that I would have had in my mind at thirteen or fourteen years of of all the things I don't want to be, it's an engineer, and especially an electrical engineer. <laughs> I, I was, can't get ohms and watts and calculate. I can't even get the basic, simplest, you know, kindergarten uh, formula straight in my head, you know, so. <laughs> it, it's funny. It's something that's absolutely second nature for me. It just feels like it fits. Now, my mother was an architect, so it's not like I had it in the family or anything yeah. like that. My father was a dentist, so nothing there either to connect the dots. But my mother was self-taught as a as a structural engineer. So she yeah. was actually the second woman in history to graduate in architecture from Cornell University uh, wow. in New York. And she designed some landmark buildings in Manhattan. So I you know, had that legacy. I had the legacy of my grandfather uh, holding about 60 patents, who I actually never met really? him. Really? But uh, it was ingrained in me early on from a very early age that, you know, here's here was your grandfather. Look at all the things that he did. Look at all his inventions. And, right. you know, I, I still have a drawer full of 60 some patents of his 
wow. in, in my files. And it, it, that's cool. So that ingrained in me the notion that I could do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that just got instilled in me from a very early age. And so as you're coming up, it's a matter to do, do well in school. Not a lot of it, entrepreneurial challenges there. Did you get any taste of the entrepreneurial uh, life uh, early early on, or was that just just later? Absolutely. As a teenager, I ran a stage lighting company, oh, and I used to okay. do uh, sound reinforcement. I you know DJed for all kinds of you know weddings and dances and all that sort of thing. But did a lot of sound reinforcement for uh, theater and rock and roll, toured a lot with some admittedly big name acts. So uh, like, who? Taste- like, like who, 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 who would, who would we know? Uh, did some special effects for Rush, did uh, stage sound for Krista Berg, uh, did stage sound for Harmonium. We were the opening act for Supertramp. Uh, who else? Uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. Um, oh, yeah. A bunch of different, yeah. You know, bunch of different bands. You, you were, you were in the mix. And yeah, I organized the Canada Day festivities for the city of Halifax for two years at age eighteen, which is nuts when I think about it. Who would you? Entr- why would? Why would you ever entrust like the uh, national festivities for a reasonably major city to an eighteen-year-old? Like it makes yeah. no sense. But anyway, for those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compress them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at widelonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. And, and so when you got out of school, uh, you know, I did I did go to Georgia Tech and, you know, have a lot of engineers as my friends. And uh, one of them, who one of the brainiacs, he said he went in and his reward for getting, you know, top honors and top grades was he said, uh, I got on the job, and for the first uh, six months, they gave me a job that within, you know, probably a half hour, you could ch- train any monkey on the planet to do. And uh, I'm wondering, what, why did I put myself through all this education? But they, they'll they train you for what they want you to do. I guess they just want you to know you've got the aptitude and the fundamentals down. It's a little bit luck of the draw. I saw many people come out of good schools, come into the same organization and end up in roles that, quite frankly, were dreadful. And I was just very lucky. Within three weeks of starting my first job out of university, I got sent, I got loaned to Motorola to work on one of their microprocessor chips. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I was shuttling back and forth between Austin, Texas and Liberty Corner, New Jersey, uh, working on on one of the companion chips for for one of their latest microprocessors, so I literally got thrown in the deep end. Now we were a research department within within the company, so we had a little bit more latitude to play, which was kind of cool. And it just was a great opportunity to learn and and be immersed in an environment where I was working with, frankly, some of the best in the world right from the very day that I started. So that was an extraordinary opportunity. You bring up an interesting point that with 
probably be useful for us to uh, highlight, which is, in many ways, uh, what you see in professional sports is uh, what happens in the real world when people get out of, you know, they matriculate out of out of college and they get in with their first company. A lot of your success, you know, like if you're a quarterback or running back or whatever, a lot of it, your success is going to, you know, if you play for a pass happy coach and you're a great uh, running back, uh, not the great place for you to be, you know, uh, as much as if you're with a star wide receiver or uh, quarterback, you know, you want to put ball down the field. And so you, in other words, you didn't want to be, you, you're not going to be Tom Brady probably if Lombardi is your coach, because we're going to, he's going to be running that slant off tackle over and over again, you know? And so uh, a lot of it has to do with getting with the right people. And if, People should be proactive. Like if you are back in that situation with what you know now and that did not work out, you see the kind of success you could have in the right environment. But knowing what you uh, know now, had you not gotten into that kind of environment, the thing to have told yourself is it's not me, it's the fit. And I need to keep my eyes open and look for a better fit. Don't you think? The way I think about it, is you really need three things to be successful. Yep. And the world tends to, and you see this in real estate all the time. The first thing that people will tell you is uh, you need to get an education. So come to my weekend boot camp, $197, and I'll guarantee you salvation. And you go to that yep. three-day boot camp and they say, great, you've got all the knowledge. But if that were the ticket, then you could look to Google for answers and that would be enough. Right. It's not. So then number two, you've got this second group of folks that are saying, oh, you, you, you need mindset, that you're, you're, you're messed up in the head, you got to get some mindset. Yep. So then you've got the whole mindset crew. And if that, and absolutely, you need that as well. You need the emotional fortitude to figure out how to get through things when times are tough. But that too is not the ticket. It really is that third element that is the game changer. It's getting in the right environment. Yeah. And you see it. Uh, in like you, you mentioned the sports analogy. I mean, why do all of the elite figure skaters in the world train here in Canada? Yeah. I mean, they have ice in Japan. You know, right. like yeah. so. Right. <laughs> so, so, what is it about that? You know, why would I go to the gym? I've got a spin bike at home. Why would I get get in the car, drive fifteen minutes to the gym, go in a room with thirty spin bikes with an instructor at the front? Yeah, it's not that I need them to tell me how to operate the bike. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I've got a therapist in Aspen, and she has three kids, two boys, one daughter, and they're both like superb in hockey, have the aptitude and love for it. And it wasn't long before they graduated. It wasn't long before she and her husband are driving them to the better schools and leagues in Denver, which is a four plus hour drive. Yeah. It's not long before they're staying there. It's not long before the kids are in Toronto. The boys are in Toronto. And then eventually they're in Switzerland. And now the girl is follow, you know, following along in that. She's the youngest following along in that path. But they're doing it exactly for what you say, because there's no substitute for uh, getting in the environment where people take it serious. They know what they're talking about. They have the resources. They have the there's a lot of support things that have to be, uh, are you know, around too. You know, people that that you know, subcontractors, et cetera. And uh, when you get in the right environment, 
you plug into all of those things. And that does, there's no shortcuts, but that does uh, allow you to uh, not get diverted, you know, and uh, take bad turns or get stalled out as much as when you, the road is paved and you got a whole lot of people running on it. And so what were some of the things that, uh, you know, at 18, you had that, uh, that uh, uh, experience of running things for the, t- the, the city. Uh, what, how quick did you move up uh, and, and find yourself in, uh, you know, moving up ahead of the, you know, ahead of the, uh, uh, the, the herd in responsibility and opportunity once you got uh, in the real world? I've always experienced that most of my life. And I think some of it has to do with, with my upbringing, which, so when I was a, when I was a young child at five years of age, my mother was diagnosed with cancer for the first time when I was five. Mm -hmm. Um, And she died on my 18th birthday. So, yeah. And, and so what I knew growing up was a sick mom. And so a lot of responsibility was put on me from a very, very early age. And even when I was going through high school, my parents, you know, they knew that, I, I mean, we didn't know, but they knew that yeah. her time was limited. So they would travel the world. Like they would disappear for 90, 110 days on the Queen Elizabeth on the round the world cruise. And really? my sister and I would be left at home alone, going to school, cooking for ourselves. I mean, think about it. It's nuts. Here was 16 year old. You leave a 16 and a 14 year old at home alone for four months. Oh like, no! Right? Yeah. I couldn't imagine it. But that was that was actually my upbringing. So we we learned how to be responsible at an early age. And it, it I mean, was I robbed of my childhood? Maybe a little bit, but but I learned that responsibility at an early age. So I I never shied away from it. Yeah. And what do you think when you came in the door? What was in your mind when you got that I mean, was was this the dream company? I mean, did was it known? Uh, how did you how did you check that out? You're in school. You want to get, you know, you want to have some success. You want to be with in the right place. How did you check it out? What I did in my senior year, I knew that I wanted to be involved in microprocessor design. So for my senior year project, I designed together with a, a study partner. We designed a microprocessor uh, as our as our senior year thesis project. Uh, which was a huge undertaking, just head and shoulders above whatever anyone else in the class did. And the head of our department uh, mentioned it to the recruiter from Bell Northern Research who happened to be on campus. And he was there to to interview graduate students. And he said, yeah, but there's a couple of undergrads I'd like you to meet. And so we met with him. And uh, a week later, we were uh, being flown to Ottawa. I was being flown to Ottawa to come meet with this particular department. And then a week later, I had a job offer in my hands at what, frankly, was my dream job. I could not have architected it any better. I really couldn't have. And so you you show up on the scene. Now, what what did you do to hit the ground running? I think what I had just done almost in some ways years of preparation for it in the sense that a lot of the leading edge research was coming out of either Berkeley or, uh, or Stanford University. And I had read all of the papers from uh, Dave Patterson or uh, John Hennessy, who later went on became became president of Stanford University, and, and just really was in tune with the latest research. So I could go in even as a newbie, as a rookie, 
but really almost at a peer level with the others in the department. So that, I think, was, was part of it. Thanks for listening to The Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.